welcome to this episode of Drunk Bible Study Bonus Edition for episode 170, also known as episode two of Ezekiel, Woo. which did not disappoint to keep the energy going, keep the, the visions going, mm. keep the wacky imagery going. Just keep that trip on tripping. Yeah. Trips, trips be tripping, as we say. Continue the trip. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Would you say that? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So for this bonus, Dedeker looked up, um, what was it? The women weeping for someone? Tammuz? Weeping for Tammuz. Okay, yes. so we're going to get to that. And then Emily, what did you look up? The image of jealousy oh, yes. in Ezekiel chapter 8. AKA Beyonce. Love that. Well, we're going to talk about that. And uh, I looked into this whole thing about putting the branch to their nose or putting the twig to their nose. So um, I'll, I'll start us out here. Um, Okay, so we went in and this the like series of abominations, two of which we were like, huh? And one of them was these, he comes into a room and there's 25 dudes standing there with their backs to the temple. Chilling. Holding branches <laughs> to their nose. <laughs> it's like, what? what is going on here? And we were wondering if it's like some kind of gesture of insult, like thumbing your nose at someone. And it turns out that in the New Living Testament, that's exactly how they translate it, is... Thumbing their noses. Oh, thumbing your nose. I was just wondering oh, about thumbing your really? nose as a gesture as well. Yeah. So. And what does that mean exactly? I actually don't like, know where it comes from even. You're saying something bad to someone? It's an insult for sure. Well, there's, okay. The thumbing, okay, I've seen thumbing the nose, like often when someone's about to punch someone in old timey movies. Whoa. Like, that they do oh, the nose thumb. Oh, yeah, but I thought yeah. that thumbing your nose at someone okay. was more of a gesture with your like, thumb on your nose and like your pinky sticking out toward them it's more of like a like you're making a horn out the front or something yeah according to uh. wikipedia that's called cocking a snook <laughs> what well that's i should have just started there and i wouldn't have to look up anymore <laughs> okay there's a whole wikipedia page just dedicated to cocking, cocking a, snook. a snook amazing mm-hmm. well here's the thing though that's not what they were doing <laughs> oh and basically according to our good friends on the hermeneutic stack exchange here, pretty much everyone's like, hmm, kind of, that's kind of the vibe here, but probably not actually. And that's just modern translators being like, I don't freaking know, but he's upset. So it must be something like this, I guess. So I'm going to present you with three potential theories here. First one. Uh, the first one, this is the one that got the most upvotes on Hermeneutic Stack Exchange. So, you know, maybe take this the most seriously. Okay. Anyway, so what this is, is that this supposedly comes from Acadia, which was a neighboring empire, actually from like much longer before this, like an older empire that had been around for a long time. But it was Acadian expression of a gesture of humility that is to come before a deity with a petition, and you have your hands are positioned in front of your nose and mouth, and sometimes they have a short cylindrical object in their hand that, according to some texts, was maybe a twig or a branch from a tree or something like that. I don't quite understand the pose. I can't quite picture it. Maybe we could find some examples of this if we kept searching. But basically saying that it's the fact that they were facing away from the temple and toward the sun, I guess, while doing this gesture of humility was more just that they're worshiping someone else. Mm, Okay. So that's one option is that this whole thing of 
I guess one thing is that, that they're worshiping someone else. The other is that they might be worshiping Yahweh, but doing it with a tradition from a different religion. Weird. Oh, gosh. We can't have that. And we hate that. Why would you be doing that? Yeah. Unless we've officially co-opted their practices, we can't have them doing that. Yeah. No, cannot. Okay, so next option. This one I thought was a little bit weird. That this is saying that it may be a metaphor for putting the branch to God's nostrils and that it is like a branch on fire and you're kindling God's anger. Now... Okay, so like you have a lit match and you're just shoving yes, it into his yes. nose and he hates that like many people Because would. apparently in some translations, it's that they were putting the stick to my nose instead of putting the stick to their own nose. Yeah, I thought that was in our translation was that they had the stick yeah, to my nose. Yeah, so it nose. varies. In some translations, it's to their own noses and some it's to whoever's speaking, which again, though, I don't think makes sense with this because this is saying putting that to Yahweh's nose, but it was Ezekiel who was telling us about his vision. So that just feels weird. It's got a couple upvotes. Um, And they gave some examples of other places where similar wording was used, like with Potiphar's nostrils being kindled when he was angry at Joseph Hmm. for maybe, you know, having tried to have sex with his wife or something like that. Then, though, this commentary that this person quoted here goes on to say some whack stuff about, like, like. metaphor. Okay, let me just read this to you as is. This is from James B. Jordan's The Law of the Covenant. This leads us to the observation that the widow in Israel was a type of the bride of Adam, whose husband God had killed for his sin. It was needed for a younger brother, the second Adam, Jesus Christ, to take her as his wife. I was just sort of like, um, what even? What? what are you talking what? about? How? <laughs> what? Yeah. Man. Yeah. Okay. Third explanation is that it was not an Akkadian practice, but that it was a Zoroastrian practice from Persia. Um, And in that, you can see this in some of their imagery where the worship was to face toward the east, toward the sun, and to hold in your hand a bundle of sticks or branches of some specific type of tree, which maybe were tamarisk or maybe pomegranate branches, maybe myrtle. We're not sure. But and there's the picture Mm. here of that imagery. So it's like, so maybe it's that same idea though, right? Of like they're worshiping someone else or doing some other religion's practices. Yahweh hates that. Can I just say that I found, because mine is also about Ezekiel 8, Uh in the Wikipedia article on Ezekiel 8, it says, what does it mean to put the branch to your nose? And it says, they harass and irritate me. It says, they send the branch into my nose is a vivid way of saying they harass and irritate me because having a twig or a thorn thrust <laughs> into one's face is an obviously unpleasant situation. I see. So they're just poking me with <laughs> Okay, so it's just, <laughs> just bothering. Just straight just up bothering. Like, blah, 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 blah. Ah! <laughs> yeah, not fun oh at goodness. all. Which is pretty funny. <laughs> the one other thing I wanted to, to share with you here from the hermeneutic stack exchange is that one of the answers to this question was, the branch is Christ. 
And they put a quote here. What? And <laughs> oh no, <laughs> a branch is Christ. Okay. Uh, and this one got the most down votes of any answer to the question. So it's at a, oh, a negative okay. four score well, here. So just smelling well, Christ, like putting it in my nose so that I can smell right. real deep. They're, yeah, because they were they were trying to go with this whole thing of like, right? It's like out of Jesse's rod that came the buds and no. Jesse's lined the crown. Right, guys. Right. <laughs> No. And that's what I got. No, sorry. No. Wow. Okay, well, let's continue on with Ezekiel 8. Um, so there was this image of jealousy and this question of who the heck was this? And on Hermeneutic Stack Exchange, they said that the top answer, the majority view, is that the image of jealousy is Asherah. Yes. Asherah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Called yeah. it. Yes, which we called. However, I mean, and, Eugene this... kind of called it for us by calling her the sex goddess. But you know, yeah, yes, by by saying sex goddess, yeah. But there's a lot of other commentary out there on who this could be because another person was like, "Oh, well, it couldn't have been Asherah because Yahweh wasn't jealous of her." And I'm like, uh, "We beg to differ, but okay." <laughs> He's very clearly jealous of her. Come on. Exactly. But a lot of people say that it's just essentially anyone that might be worshipped by other people, that it's Baal. Oh, a lot okay. of people say that it's Baal. A lot of people say, Classic. well, it's just kind of a metaphor, blah, blah, blah. But it's really interesting. And it just got me thinking about, you know, commentary on the Bible in general and how many different people are thinking different things at the same time about one text that is written. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And just... Yeah, that's common. Yeah, exactly. The the discrepancies between that and that it is, it's really like up to interpretation from the individual and that saying, you know, something is absolute in any way, shape, or form is really just not, not really true because this is up to like a person's individual interpretation and even the freaking like... Uh, different versions of the Bible may be saying different things because Eugene kind of editorialized and put in the sex goddess, but it's not necessarily in other versions that it's written in that way. Yes. And so you may not have known that it's Asherah. You may think it's Baal, or you may just be like, no, God isn't jealous. It's just, it's a metaphor. I don't know. It, so I'm sorry. It just got me really thinking about that, and I don't know if you two have commentary on that. But no, I think I think this is great. This is such a wonderful evolution in your you know critical thinking about the Bible. Yeah, because yeah, I, I do think that's a fundamental flaw. Right? Mm -hmm. Is there's so many different ways to interpret it, and there are some people in that camp of keeping it open to interpretation. Yeah, and kind of accepting the mystery of like maybe there are some things here that we don't understand and will not understand. I think there's actually a lot more of that on the Jewish side of things, the contemporary Jewish side of things, of kind of just being okay with the mystery of some of these things. Right. Yeah. Um, Rather versus than, certain yeah. Christian circles that are very fundamentalist and absolute. And no, 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 this is infallible. This is exactly what it says. And we have to take it out of its word. It's airtight. But yeah, I mean, you, you as an individual, like a person just brings so much of whatever it is that they were born into. It, it, you know, you and Jace, like Dedeker, have so much more knowledge around this kind of thing and the Bible and like bringing forth everything that you've learned from your childhood and from your upbringing about this, whereas I have no idea. And so I can only like 
you know, read about it and bring my own interpretation, but I don't have years and years of interpretation to back that up. So I don't know. It's just, it's a very personal thing. And to say that one explanation is absolute, it just seems completely incorrect because it's a very, per like, I think the reading of all of this is very personal. Oh, yeah. yeah. Isn't that, that's the funny thing about it though, right? Because it's like, it depends what you're reading it for and what you're trying to get out of it. Because like, while you yeah. could say, oh, it's, you know, it's like reading poetry, like your interpretation of it's very personal and it's kind of whatever it means for you. But if you are trying to read it as a history of a religion or of several religions, then it's not just up to personal interpretation, but more of like, let's do the research. Let's try to figure it out and mm -hmm. accept that we're never going to know 100% for sure. Yeah. And so those are the two very different, uh, I guess, like different ways of thinking about the same thing you're saying, which sure. is like, we can't quite know any of this for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyways, I found it to be very interesting. So there is no real answer, although most people think Asherah, and I think that we, we interpreted it correctly, whatever that means. <laughs> I don't know what correct <laughs> is in this freaking book, but well, well I will done. say in my research, I did find also a little, some more commentary and interpretations of that. Oh, lovely. As well, well, of who this, what this, you know, image of jealousy is. I love how all of this is building upon one another. So yeah. please, Senator, please. Yeah. So I looked up the women weeping for Tammuz, and not only did I find a lot of interesting trivia and interesting theories, but I just found people's interesting commentary as well. <laughs> like, oh, this has been a real gold mine. Uh, so I'm going to start out by reading a direct quote from a blog post on shalomadventure.com. It's a great name for a blog. Which, yeah, I, just, I love that URL. It's a great name. Amazing. Yeah. Shalom. Um, so who or what was Tammuz? What did the weeping mean? And why was it considered an abomination? Many people assume the Bible is just made up of stuff. But we now know Tammuz was believed to be a handsome shepherd sun god of the ancient Babylonians. Wow. <laughs> it's just, uh, what? People assume the Bible is just made up of stuff. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Amazing. Oh, amazing. Oh man. So this Tammuz character and what this ritual is and the women weeping, lots of different theories okay. floating around. So much. So are they all about an attractive Babylonian shepherd boy? Uh, not all of them. Okay. Not okay. all of them. That is that is one of the popular theories. Um some I found one person's commentary that said that this was a pagan practice. It was a very sexual one yeah. involving ritual prostitution. Now, I didn't find any other theories or interpretations that pinned a sexual aspect to it hmm. necessarily or even anything about ritual prostitution. I don't know where this person got that from, but it could have just been if we're assuming that, oh, it's just a pagan god like Baal and we're just going to toss him in with a sex and religion shrine. So probably it was ritual prostitution. So probably it was bad. Now, the, the predominant theory that I found about Tammuz is that this was, yes, a Mesopotamian god who is connected to kind of a resurrection story, actually. So very similar to the story of Persephone from Greek mythology, this idea that oh. there is a god or a demigod who goes into the underworld for a particular amount of time and then comes back on a cycle, and that's connected to the cycle of seasons. Mm. And so this is sort of the Babylonian version of that. Okay. Where, where basically, you know, Tammuz is killed in some stories. He's, he is this like really handsome shepherd demigod who's killed by... Uh, some, in some versions of the story, it's just during a raid. In some versions of the story, it's a wild pig that kills him. Whoa. But 
without going too much into details, essentially he works it out a deal so that he's able to leave the underworld for six months at a time, specifically. I see, and that's when like our springtime happens or something because of that. Yes. And on the Babylonian calendar, the month of Tammuz roughly corresponds with July, which is the time when Uh, um, basically there's very little rain, when all the pasture lands would be dying. And so the theory is that this ritual was about mourning for Tammuz because he's dead. He's mm. in the underworld. He hasn't come back yet. Okay. And that that's, that's the basis of it. Wow. So that's the basis of it. Now, there's more fantastic commentary that I found. So I found another, this woman's blog post on a, a site called theancientbridge.com, really diving deep into this whole passage. So she also starts out with her theories about the quote-unquote image of jealousy. And I just want to read some direct quotes from her blog. So, quote, I want you to imagine what, quote, image of jealousy meant during those times and specifically what it meant to the one giving Ezekiel the vision, namely God. I have heard it said that it must be a big phallic symbol causing everyone to be jealous. What? But no phallic (laughs) symbol that is big enough to be seen from afar could seriously be expected to make anyone jealous, especially God. (laughs) <laughs> Why is especially God? Because <laughs> um, it's not big uh, enough. What? I don't understand what's happening. I, well, so so this is her debunking <laughs> debunking that it's a phallic symbol. I guess some other people think that it could have been a phallic symbol. Okay. And she makes the argument that no, it's it's just another god. And and she says bringing an idol into his inner court and setting it up uh, at the northern gate was tantamount to me taking a picture of another man I am sleeping with in parentheses, this is just an example. I am not really doing this. And putting it on my husband's bedside table. It would be an in-your-face image that would provoke jealousy. Wow. 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 I just can't even... For you to just, just... For you to understand. Yeah. Now, I, I also found another source in some of the rabbinical writings that claims that specifically the statue of Tammuz itself was made of metal and it was hollow but it had some hollow eye sockets and there was lead in there and then you could set a fire inside the statue so then the lead would melt and it would run down like tears. Oh my. And that was Whoa. part of his whole thing. Okay. I was crying. Wow, that's, that's, I mean, that's some really cool special effects that they had going on there. It is pretty yes. cool. I actually, I read a really, that Technosis book that I read a couple of years ago was very much about this very ancient melding of technology and the divine which mm. involves, you know, there were temples in Greece and in Rome where using waterworks, they essentially got statues to animate and move. And that was part of the whole spectacle wow. of worshiping at that temple was right. this Early kind of allegedly divinely, yeah. yes, this, this kind of ancient animatronics. Now, of course, I ended up on everyone's favorite, the Hermeneutics Stack Exchange. Of course. Oh, all three of us people, ended up there. That's, that's the record. That's never happened before. All three of us. Yeah, <laughs> it's good. It's good. People were asking, what is this? Who is Tammuz? And a lot of people are saying, yeah, it was a pagan god. It was an idol. went to the underworld, stuff like that. This other person says, no, no, no. Tammuz was an actual person. He was not a god, although he was worshipped like one after his death. He was the son of Nimrod. And this is how it goes. Colon. Okay, get ready. Nimrod was descended directly from Noah. Noah had a son named Ham. Ham had a son named Cush. Cush married a woman named Samaramis, and they had a son also named Nimrod. When Cush died, Nimrod married his mother, Semiramis. And then when Nimrod died, Semiramis was pregnant. When she had the baby, she named him Tammuz. And Semiramis believed that Tammuz was Nimrod reincarnated. Okay. Allegedly. Wow. The original Nimrod, not so Nimrod the second. Okay. Yes. Yes. 
And now this last, just this last comment on this particular hermeneutics stack exchange thread. I would not refer to what was told about this god as a myth. Uh, they were real. Tammuz was a master at love poems, and he wrote love poems to Ivana, also known as Ishtar. Uh, they're the same poems that allegedly Solomon wrote in the Bible. What? So there's also now this new theory that Song of Solomon's was actually ripped off Whoa. from these poems that really? were written between this god and this goddess, or this demigod and demigoddess that existed. Oh my god! Wow. Allegedly, conspiracy yes. theory. I know. I'm sure once we get to Song of Songs, we'll dive more into yeah. that. Yeah. And this person says, my guess on why the women weep for him was that as us women are today when it comes to men who display a certain level of sensuality, songs and lyrics, and we put them in the God status and actually worship them. That, that's literally what they said. I know it didn't quite make sense, but like us you get women what they're today. What? <laughs> us women today. Women today. <laughs> when a man has a good, good old rock band and can write some good lyrics, you yeah. make him an idol. Yeah. Makes me cry every time. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's what I got about Tammuz. Wow. There's a lot there that I was not expecting. Was beautiful. Yeah, wow. I did not expect <laughs> your topic of the three to be the one that had the I most know. information about it. So yeah, good. my goodness. That's <laughs> awesome. awesome. All right. Well, thank <sighs> you both for looking wow. into that. I'm excited to keep going with this book. Oh, yeah. Oh, of course. It's a blast. It's been a good time. Well, we're looking forward to continuing on with Ezekiel. We can't wait for y'all to be a part of it and we will see you in the next episode.